You guys ready for the word this morning? Yes. All right, today we're starting a series called Family Matters that I'm really excited about. I hope you'll make it uh, a priority to be here in this building all five weeks of this series. I believe God's going to use it. Um, and so uh, we and invite people to, to join you because everybody understands or believes, just about everybody, that family is important. So this is a great series to invite people to. But when you say the word family, that word brings both joy and frustration, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of a complicated deal. It, it makes you happy, but it also makes you think of some other things. Depends on the day. I mean, you love them, but you don't always like them. It's like, I love you. Go away now, right? <laughs> I love you. Just, just go away. Ever said that to your family, to your husband or your wife, your kids, your brother, your sister, your parents? Your in-laws, just kidding, I have great in-laws. Yeah, family is a complicated thing. You love them, but they can drive you straight to crazy town faster than anybody else, right? And, and, and that change can happen pretty quick. Like you could be loving your family, everything going great, and then all of a sudden they say something and you're just like, oh, I love you. Go away now. Go away, you made me mad. So I think I have a pretty healthy family as families go. It's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty healthy. We've got five kids in our home right now, three biological and two foster kids. I feel like I have a pretty, pretty healthy family. All the kids are great, but our house can go like from Brady Bunch to the Simpsons in a split second, right? Like it can totally make that change in a split Second, one minute everybody loves each other, we're all laughing and having a good time, and the next minute two are screaming, one is crying, and the two others are doing some serious teenage brooding, and Aaron's nowhere to be found. <laughs> all right, that's my family. Anybody else have a family like that that can make that switch in a split second from Brady Bunch to Simpsons? Yeah, I love you so much. Go away now. Sometimes it's not in a moment. Sometimes it's gradual. You can just sense that something's off with you and one of your family members. And you're like, man, we were doing so good. What happened? What's going on? What's, what's the issue? Your spouse, your brother, your parent, something like that. There was a turn, and you don't know what happened. You're like, man, ugh, this is uncomfortable. And I, I love you, but go away. And I'm joking about it, but many times it's serious, isn't it? Family is a, is a complicated thing. For most of us, these are the people we love most, and yet oftentimes they're the greatest source of, of our regret and our hurt and our pain, our sorrow. It's complicated. Family is complicated. We know that, but most of us act like we live our lives like family is just going to happen. That we're just going to kind of stumble into having a great family. That it's just going to kind of take care of itself. But it's not that way at all. Doing family right is not easy. But it's so important. Family matters. Maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you're one of those people that thinks, ah, it'll be fine, Pastor Jake. You're, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Like, it'll just work out on its own. So let me just talk to you about the state of the family in our country right now. So I'm going to give you a bunch of statistics, 
And hopefully they will prove to you that nobody stumbles into a healthy family. That healthy families, especially God-honoring ones, do not happen by themselves and on their own. So it's going to feel like as I throw these stats out at you that you're kind of drinking from a fire hydrant, okay? But that's the way it's supposed to feel. Don't try to write it all down. Uh, there's a, a URL, a website at the bottom of the notes section of the bulletin and in the Uversion live event. If you didn't get those, don't know where those are, you can grab them on the way out. And uh, that links to all of these statistics all together and you can read through them and even more. Don't do that right now, okay? Don't link, don't click on it now. Stop! Okay. Do it later. So let's jump in. More babies are born to unmarried women than ever before in our country. Over 40% of all babies born in our nation. Two-thirds of young adults live with a boyfriend or girlfriend at some point, and three-quarters of marriages are preceded by cohabitation. 40% of young adults have lived with unmarried parents. Less than half of young adults reach the age of 18 in a household where their biological parents are still married. And kids living with just their mom increased from 8 to 23% from 1960 to 2016. Out of 83 million families in the United States, 15 million of them are led by single mothers. About one in five kids who are born to married parents will experience the breakup of their parents' marriage by the age of nine. So what does it mean to our, for our kids? What does this mean? Does it matter? Well, secular research shows that family instability is a real challenge for our children. Listen to this. Kids who live with both a step-parent and a step or half-sibling show an almost 30% increase in aggressive behavior upon entering school. And listen, this is, this is just part of the picture. Like depression in teens is on the rise. Depression in moms is on the rise. Opiate addiction among young adults is an epidemic in our nation. If you, your life insurance policy, if you're between 20 and 40, and lately you've got an increase in that, all of a sudden it costs a lot more. That's why. It's because of the opiate epidemic in our nation. More dads are bailing on their families than ever before. More kids are being medicated for anxiety issues than ever before. And listen, that's, that's from a secular point of view. That has nothing to do with faith. It has nothing to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with what we know as Christ followers would be the most important thing. So, so, so let me just give you one statistic at this point from, from a faith perspective. 70% of college student, students raised in a Christian home leave the faith. And only 35% return. 70% of college students raised in a Christian home end up leaving the faith before they leave college and only 35% return. That, that's, that's your home. That's my home. Can we just agree that we have a problem? That even the concept of family in our culture is under attack day in and day out? That there's so much in our culture and in our lives vying for our attention, vying for us to make it priority over everything else. That family is just being crushed under the weight of it all. This stuff is happening inside and outside the church among those who would call themselves Christ followers and those who wouldn't. And yet all of us would agree, agree on a very fundamental thing that family matters. 
It's important. But if that's the case, why are so many families failing, falling apart, imploding, splitting up, struggling, or just barely making it? It's because we expect family to just happen automatically because we love each other. We're like, our marriage is going to be great. It'll be fine because we love each other. I'm going to knock this parenting thing out of the park because I love my kids so much and they love me. We love each other. We think we'll be the grandparents God has called us to be. Be the grown children that God has called us to be because we love each other. We've bought into this idea that love is all you need. But I'm here to tell you today, church, the Beatles got it wrong. Love didn't keep them together, and it won't keep you together. Love is not all you need. You need a lot more. You need a lot more. Listen, families are messed up because people are messed up. Left alone to just progress on its own, your family will absolutely fall apart. It'll get messed up because the individuals in it are messed up, especially you, right? Yeah. I mean, love is a piece of this, but you're going to need a lot more if you're going to end up on the other side of this with a family that is healthy. And if you're a Jesus follower, then after your relationship with Jesus Christ, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, family is the most important thing that you will ever be involved in. And yet... It's the most important thing, and yet, it's also the most difficult thing you'll ever be involved in. If that's true, then we have a problem. Because we spend more intentional time and energy trying to figure out how to be a good citizen than we do trying to figure out how to be a good spouse. We spend decades preparing for our career and almost no time preparing for our kids. I mean, if you think about it, most of us probably over the years have spent more intentional thought on our family's dinner than we have on our family's destiny. We have a problem. You guys know who Urkel is? Yeah, he was kind of the star of a, of a, a show called Family Matters, right? Um, kind of that stereotypical genius, uh, clumsy kind of guy, always messing things up. And um, he, anybody know who his, what his phrase was, his catchphrase? Exactly. Exactly. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. You just need more culture in your life, okay? You just need more culture. But he'd, he'd say that after messing stuff up, like knocking something over, starting a fire, ruining the party, whatever it is. He would look back at the mess he just made and he'd say, I do that. He was always saying that. Listen, none of us wants to look up when we're like 80 years old. Look back at the mess of our family and think, did I do that? Did I mess that up? Did I, did I do that? If you don't want that to happen, then it's, it's going to take hard work, intentionality, planning, 
prioritizing, sacrifice. It's not just going to happen. It's going to take sacrifice, sacrifice of what you want individually for what the family needs collectively. Sacrifice of, of what the society or everybody around you, inside and outside the church, what society is telling you you need to spend your time and money on as a family. Sacrifice of time and maybe even opportunities when it comes to your career. So five weeks in this series, and here are the family matters we're going to be discussing. Faith, honor, commitment, time, and forgiveness. Today we'll start with faith, but I want to tell you that next week, I've, I've already written that message for honor, and I think it's really important that you come back and you hear what we're going to talk about in the area of honor within your marriage, but also I want you to invite, to bring, invite you to bring your kids into this place. So 6th through 12th grade, definitely make sure they get here. Uh, younger than that, they go into kids' ministry, and you can look at the, watch the message with them later if you think they're old enough to understand and all of that. But 6th through 12th, get them in here. And anybody else, grown kid, I don't care if your kid's 50, bring them in, all right? Bring them in. It's not just going to be towards that. It'll be towards every relationship in our family, but I really believe God's giving me a, a word for our church next week for honor. But today is faith, and I just want to say this as a main point today. What matters most in family is faith in Jesus Christ. And you go, yeah. I mean, if you're a Jesus follower on any level, you're like, of course. Faith in Jesus is what matters most. But 70%, 70% of college students who are raised in a Christian home end up leaving the faith before they leave college. 70%. So we may say we agree. We may even give a hearty amen. Faith is at the center of everything. We may even go, duh. Like that's, that's just so obvious. But we're not doing it. We're not, we're not doing it. We're not living it out. This idea that faith is what matters most to family, it, it doesn't go from theory to practice. It doesn't go from our mind to our methods and the way that we do our marriage and the way that we parent and the way that we relate to parents as grown people and the way that we grandparent. It doesn't, it doesn't go from, from mind to, to methods. There's... There's a sobering verse in Judges chapter 2 that I just want to read to you. Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. In other words, they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. Let me explain. God, through many signs and wonders and miracles, amazing things, parting of the Red Sea and plagues and all these things, through Moses, led the people out of slavery in, in Egypt, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. It was this amazing thing. And, and they're supposed to be going to the promised land, right? But that generation who was led out of Egypt doesn't ever make it to the promised land because they disobey. And God, to punish them, makes them basically walk a huge circle in the desert for 40 years until, until an entire generation dies off except for two people, Joseph, I'm sorry, no, Joshua and Caleb, right? Those, those two. And they get to the promised land and, and then Moses dies, 
And then Joshua leads them into the promised land. And, and God, through Joshua, says to the people, hey, make sure you drive all of the other nations out. Because if you don't, you'll end up serving other gods. And, and all the people go, yes, we promise. We're going to stay faithful. We're going to do this. And they don't. They, they disobey. They disobey God, and then, and then that generation, the ones that first entered the promised land, they die off. And now in Judges 2, we have a generation who doesn't know the Lord. So I want to be clear. This is two generations from Moses. This, is, this isn't hundreds of years of slow decline as less and less people know the Lord and what he's done for Israel until there's none. This isn't that. This is two generations from Moses. This is Moses' grandkids, and they don't know the Lord. They don't know what he's done for Israel. How could that be? I'll tell you how. The fathers and mothers of this faithless generation and judges too, they, they said that the Lord was primary. They said that they understood, they agreed, they committed, they, they said all the right things, but they didn't actually do anything. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy literally means second law. It means second law and This is Moses telling the people right before he dies, kind of his dying breath, telling the people again all the things that have happened in the law of the Lord. He's trying with his dying breath to say, hey, before you go in there, remember the Lord. Follow his commands. He says this in verse 4, starting in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and you're full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." It is the Lord your God who shall, you shall fear. Him you shall serve. Now skip down to verse 20. He says, when your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there and that, that he might bring us in and, and give us the land that he swore to give our forefathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all the commandments 
before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So Moses is about to die, and with his last few moments, he says, listen, you need to put faith in God at the center of your family. He doesn't talk about laughing your way to a good marriage. He doesn't talk about, you know, what time kids need to get in bed. He doesn't talk about living in a safe neighborhood, going, making sure you get a 9 or a 10 in the school that your kids go to. He doesn't talk about anything like that. He doesn't talk about, about senior home care for, for your parents when they get to that age. He, he doesn't talk about dads coaching baseball and how important that is and how, you know, sports really help with leadership and perseverance and, and all of that. He doesn't talk about any of that. He doesn't talk about, you know, um, getting a date night once a month or being home by 5 p.m. or having a healthy sex life in your marriage. All of those things are great, especially the last one. All of those things are great, but that's not what God says. That's not what Moses says. He says, listen, this is what's most important. Put your faith in God at the center of your life, at the center of your family. What matters most is faith in God. And listen, the people end up agreeing in Deuteronomy, and they literally shout with one voice, amen. Yes, we'll do it. Let it be. Then Moses dies. Joshua leads them into the promised land, and they turn from the Lord. And one generation later from them, we have What is one of, if not the scariest verse in the Bible that we read a minute ago, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Beloved, what we're talking about today, it's no small thing. I mean, generations hang in the balance here. Jesus will always keep a remnant, right? But... In one sense, the church is always just one generation from extinction. Your family is just one generation from being lost. What matters most in family doesn't doesn't just happen on its own. You have to fight to make family or to make faith the center of your family, the center of your parenting, your marriage, how you do your relationships with your parents or your brothers, sisters, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandparents, grandchildren. If you get this wrong, you get the whole thing wrong. If you miss this, you miss the whole thing. And listen, what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy 6 was that in the end, It's not going to matter how you feel about Jesus. In the end, it's not going to matter how you think about Jesus. It's not going to matter what your parents taught you or your grandparents taught you because I hear a lot of people saying, oh, we'll be fine in this area because I love Jesus, because my parents loved Jesus. No. It doesn't matter how you feel about Jesus. It only matters what you are going to do to make sure the next generation of your family feels the same way about Jesus. Are you tracking with me? You have to go from inside to what you and or how you lead your family on the outside. It's got to go from inside to outside for this thing to matter. What I'm saying is that 
The statement I said earlier that everybody agrees with, that what, what matters most in family is faith in Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that maybe based on Deuteronomy that we just read, we need to change it a bit. Maybe our main point should be what matters most in family is serving and worshiping Jesus together. What matters most in family is serving and worshiping Jesus Christ together. Just, just hear me out. If I, if I asked you, does your family have a faith in Jesus? 99% of you would say, yes, we have a faith in Jesus, absolutely. And then if I went out into our communities and I asked a similar question, I asked, does your family have a faith in God? The vast majority of our community, houses, families, people would say, absolutely, my family has a faith in God. Many of them who have never read the Bible, never darkened the the door of God's church. But what if the question wasn't about belief? What if the question was about action? Then it might change. What if I asked you, does your family serve and worship Jesus together? Does your family serve and worship Jesus together? That'd be different. You see, you can, you can hide behind faith and belief because it's hard to measure. And if someone tries to measure our faith or our belief, we just call them judgmental, and then we quote the only Bible verse we've memorized, judge not lest you be judged. And then we walk away like, ha, handled them. I'm good. Listen, you can hide behind words like faith and you can, even, you can even deceive yourself into thinking you actually have some faith when you don't. But action is different. Does your, does your family serve and worship Jesus together? Now you're going, oh, serve Jesus together. I can't think of anything. Hmm. Worship Jesus Christ together. Does sitting in a church service once or twice a month count? Does, is that is singing? Does that, does that count? Listen, that's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 6. He doesn't say, he doesn't just say, have faith. He doesn't leave it at that. He gets very specific and action-oriented, doesn't he? I mean, we read through this list of things. He goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Yes, but also teach your kids about him. Also, tell everybody else about when you're walking by the way, when you lay down, be, when you arise, be all about your whole life, your whole family should be centered on this. See, it's not, just, it's not even just parenting. It's in all directions. Faith is supposed to be at the center of our lives in all directions. He goes, put God's commands on your wrist, put them on the doorpost, write them down, wear them, like talk about them all the time, do that over and over again. He goes, don't don't forget him when he brings you into a time of blessing and gives you stuff that you don't deserve, don't forget him. Serve him and no one else. And he goes, then when your son... Or anybody asks you, why are we doing all this? 
Why did we write that on the doorpost? Why do we wear this stuff? Why are we different? Why do we talk about this stuff? Why has our family been centered around Jesus Christ? When somebody asks you that, then you tell them. Tell them what, Moses? Tell them everything. Tell them who God is. Tell them what he's done for you. Tell them how he loves them. Tell them how his commands are for their good. Tell them everything. Your family is just one generation from being lost. You want to know why 70% of college students who are raised in a Christian home end up leaving the faith? It's because leaders of families, parents, uncles, grandparents, aunts, who claim a faith in Jesus Christ, church folk, are not living this out. They haven't been intentional about getting this from theory to practice, from inside to outside, intentions to decisions. They have some belief, but can't really tell by what they spend their time on, their money on, how they lead their family. They throw church in the mix, sure, but it's just a side thing. Jesus is an extracurricular activity. And not even high up on the list of the extracurricular activities they're involved in. How do I know that? Well, other than just looking around, which I think you could do in our world, just look around. Other than that, there's some research to it. So let me pummel you with a few more statistics. Only 19% of churchgoers personally, not as a part of the church worship service, read the Bible every day. 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of church people read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. And almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Essentially the same amount who read it every day. One out of five of you never reads the Bible. And that's kind of individual stuff, right? So let's talk about family stuff because that's what our sermon is about today and our series is about. Barna researched the faith activity of families who would call themselves Christian and They put them into four categories. And I'll just mention two. At the top of the list, the top of the categories, they called those families vibrant. Everybody say vibrant. So these were families that that talk about God or faith together weekly. They, They pray together every day or two. They read the Bible together weekly. And then they welcome non-family visitors at least several times a month, meaning that they're active in their faith and bringing people, neighbors and others in and talking to them about Jesus. So in other words, they, what mattered most to them was serving and worshiping Jesus together. So 25% of practicing Christians in the United States live in a household that qualifies as vibrant. 75% of church-going Christian families were not vibrant. And at the bottom of the list, the fourth category that they came up with, they call that dormant. And these were the families that did none of those things. 
came to church, but other than that, they did, they did none of those things. But 28% of church-going Christian families were dormant for the fourth time. We have a problem. We, we have a problem. Your family is just one generation from being lost, and only 25% of us are actually living this out in our home. The rest of us are just showing up to church every now and then or, or even weekly and calling it good. And so as you think about this, what's the difference? And when I was reading this research and talking about it and studying it, I thought, okay, what's, but what's the difference between a, like a vibrant and a dormant, you know? Like what do they do that's different? What are the things that they're involved in that help them put serving and worshiping Jesus at the center of their family? How did they do that? And, and I found that it's really, it's what Moses said to do in Deuteronomy. Like, I don't have any new things. Like, nothing has changed on this front in 3,400 years. It's all the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. And you can boil Deuteronomy 6 down into two things. What matters most in family is serving and worshiping Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we get there? Two things. Rituals and words. Rituals and words. Everybody say rituals and words. So we establish rituals in our family that lead us closer to Jesus. And then we intentionally use our words to do the same. So when Barna surveyed those vibrant families, here's what they found. 84% of them go to church weekly. 73% eat dinner together almost every night. 59% share how they're feeling daily. 55% go on walks together monthly. 76% surveyed said that someone talks to them about God's forgiveness at home. 73% said someone teaches them about the Bible at home. 71% said someone at home consistently encourages them to go to church with their peers. 80% said they had personally prayed to God in the last week, and 76% said they had personally read the Bible in the last week. Rituals and words, right? You can't just do one or the other. So if you want your family to serve and worship Jesus together, if you want the next generation to have a faith in Jesus that matters, then I just encourage you to talk this over with your family. Talk this over with your closest friends. Ask the question, what daily and weekly and monthly rituals can we put into our family that lead us closer to Jesus? And how can we begin to use our words to do the same, to encourage, to coach, to teach each other to draw closer to Jesus? Listen, it doesn't matter what season of family you're in. This is not just for those with parents with kids in the house. This is all directions. You, you can apply these things. This is your family matters, right? Whatever that family looks like. If you're married, doesn't matter. If you're not married, doesn't matter. If you've got parents, if you've got kids, if you've got nieces or nephews or grandkids or grandparents, anybody you call family, it also doesn't matter if you've messed this up already. Like if you're looking back and you're going, man, I already messed this up. It's already a mess. Can't fix it. It doesn't matter. We can't change the past, but we can absolutely change the future. Amen? I mean, we can absolutely change the future from this day forward with God's 
help. So I'm going to give you 10 practical ideas. Okay, I'm going to give you 10 practical ideas of to use rituals and words to do this in your family, make serving and worshiping Jesus central in your family, what matters most. So I'm going to give you 10 ideas, okay? Don't even try to write them down. We're going to hand them to you on your way out. Type A people just said challenge accepted, right? <laughs> But we're going to hand them to you on your way. You don't need to write them down. Just let your mind kind of accept them and ruminate. But make sure you get that list on your way. So here are a few practical ideas to get you started. Number one, get a kid-friendly Bible or devotional for a child with the intent of having them read it with an adult, not just by themselves. Number two, find one night a week that you do a family devotion, no matter what. Number three, commit to worshiping together for one church service and serving together if possible at another church service all but two to four Sundays a year. That would be super difficult for some of you. All but two to four Sundays a year. Number four, say a simple prayer with your spouse every night before bed. Doesn't that be long? Doesn't that be, you don't have to have a theology degree? Just 10 seconds, um, 60 seconds. Just say a simple prayer with your spouse every night before, the, before bed. Do a simple Bible reading plan with a family member and, and remind each other in the evening to read it or listen to it and follow along together if it's somebody that you live with. Ver number six, say a simple prayer over your kids before they head to school each morning. Don't have to have a theology degree. God bless Joshua. Help him have a great day. Let him be a light in a dark place and a missionary to his school. Amen. Right? That actually sounded pretty good. I'm sorry. I meant to make it, I meant to make it less. Help Joshua, amen, okay, just go Joshua, right, like don't let him bite anybody, amen, so just, it's just simple, just a simple prayer over your kids, okay, number seven, prioritize youth group involvement over sports or extracurricular involvement weekly, now, this is going to be super hard uh, for many, uh, but what this would mean is talking to a coach, Talking to the band director, talking to the play director, talking to the whatever, and saying, hey, listen, love what we're doing here, love what you're doing here, but Jesus, Jesus is, is a big deal in our lives, and so, hey, for middle school students, Wednesday night, we, we need to be done by, whatever we're doing, we're, we're done by 6 so that they can get to break away here every Wednesday night at 6.30. It's that important. So we can't be involved on Wednesday nights. It would mean talking to somebody like that for your high school students and going, hey, listen, culture shift that we do, youth ministry on Sunday nights, it's super important. And so we can't, if this, if this means we can't participate, so be it. I hope we can still participate, but we can't, we can't do Sunday nights because Sunday night, that's when, that's when we do culture shift. And youth ministry, our kids getting plugged in and learning about Jesus and serving and worshiping Jesus together as a family, that's bigger than any of that other stuff. Can you imagine if some of you actually did that? Like you're looking at me like I'm crazy. Most of you have never had a conversation like that with a coach or a director or anybody. It's, it's out of the, like that's crazy. Can you imagine if not just one of you, but like many of us actually did that? That a coach was approached by not one, but like six moms or dads who all said the same thing. We love you. We love what you're doing. This is awesome. Jesus. Jesus is just kind of a big deal in our family. 
And so we're going to kind of rearrange some things. Can you imagine the testimony our church, just one church, would be to our community if we actually did this? I know some of you aren't convinced. I'm telling you, it's huge. Involvement in the youth ministry, regular weekly involvement in youth ministry is one of the primary indicators of whether or not your kid is going to serve and worship Jesus after they graduate. So it is a huge, huge deal. Number eight, eat together for dinner and have open conversation about life and faith at least three times a week. Better? Try to do that every night. Number nine, take a different grandchild or niece or nephew to lunch or breakfast each week. So actually put it on the calendar and then talk to them about faith and life. Try to maybe do a devotional or whatever, but have this on the calendar that you talk to them, that you take them out one-on-one. Number 10, parents with grown kids. Call them once a week and chat about faith and life with them. Check in for a few minutes. Grown kids, call your parents once a week and chat about faith and life with them for a few minutes. Listen, I don't know if you know, but grown kids, parents with grown kids, your phones work both ways. You can receive calls and you can make calls. Why don't they ever call me? I haven't talked to them in three weeks. Why haven't you called them? You can't control what they do. You can only control what you do. So check in weekly and have a quick conversation about what Jesus is doing in their lives. So these are just 10 ideas, just examples. So come up with your own. I'm not saying you have to do all of them. It would be great if you did. But if you just established one or two, it would be huge for your family. Why would you do any of this, though? Because what matters most in family is serving and worshiping Jesus together. That's what matters most. Beloved, I don't want you to look up when you're 80 at the next generation of your family. Find them faithless and lost. And with tears in your eyes wonder, did I do that? I don't think any of us wants that. Instead, I want you, when you're 80, to look up at your family as you're serving and worshiping Jesus together and with a smile on your face say, God did this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Holy Spirit, thank you for your power that always gives us what we need to follow what you're telling us to do. That you equip us as you call us and that our only job in this is to obey. That when we are convicted, when we read your word, when it's clear that something needs to change, that our only job is to obey and you will provide everything else. Just just obey. And so, God, I thank you for that. I pray that today, whatever was of me in this message would be quickly forgotten and whatever's of you would stick with us, stay with us, haunt us this week, and like seeds of truth would go deep into each of our hearts and find their good soil. That they would take root and that they would eventually bear fruit, even soon, God, that they would bear fruit. God, I pray for those in this room who, as we talk about putting serving and worshiping Jesus 
at the center of our family, they go, ah, like I'm, they're, they're kind of convicted. I think I'm skipping a step. They have yet to put that at the center of their own life. Personally, they have yet to fully surrender to you, to accept your gift, but also to surrender and make you leader and Lord of their life. So I pray for that person in this room. I pray that this today would be their first step of obedience, that they would make a decision for you, say yes to you, and that you would transform their lives. As we continue in an attitude of prayer with eyes closed and heads bowed across the room, I just want to give you a moment like I do so often to make a decision for Jesus Christ. If you have yet to not only believe that he's real and maybe even believe that he died for you and call him savior, but if you have yet to not only do those things, but also to make him leader and Lord of your life, to surrender and submit to him in your life, if you have yet to do that, I want to invite you to do it right now. You don't have to have special words or anything like that. Just pray in your own way. It might be the first time you've ever prayed. Just say, God, I need you. I need your help to make you central. I need your help. Transform me. Make me new. I want to follow you. If your heart is willing, if you're serious about it, then the Holy Spirit will fill your life and transform you and make you more and more like Jesus along the way. So if that's you, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, I just, I would love to pray for you. If that's you, you want to say yes to Jesus today. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the first time you're ever doing that or you're saying, man, I'm one of those that fell away or I have yet to get serious about this or whatever. But if you want to say yes to Jesus today, I just want to invite you just to slip your hand up so that I can pray for you. Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, keep them raised high. Yep, I see those. Anyone else? You'd say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to say yes to Jesus. I see those at the back. Keep them up. Hands going up all over. I just pray. Keep them up, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that you would protect these who would say yes to you today. That they would quickly follow this decision by getting baptized and making it real. And that they would tell somebody what they just decided that Holy Spirit, you would give them a lasting change right now, supernaturally. And maybe there's also people in this room who, you love Jesus, you know Jesus, but man, you are not putting him central in your family. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe something else, but you can think of relationships where serving and worshiping Jesus is not at the center. Maybe this idea of belief is, but serving and worshiping him is not. I just want to invite you to, to ask for God's forgiveness and then ask for his help. Don't try to numb that conviction as you leave this place. Sit in it, welcome it, and ask God to help you. Talk to your spouse, talk to your brother, your sister, your parent, whatever, and tell them you want to do this. Get their help and make Jesus the center of your family. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing. We give this all into your hands, and it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. Why don't you stand with me? Listen, many raised hands today, and, and others are saying, yes, I need to put 
faith or Jesus at the center of my family. And, and if that's you, either of those, make sure you go get prayer at the side. You've got prayer workers at the side. If you're going to say yes to Jesus, they'll give you a packet, and I've decided packet that'll help you take next steps. We want to help you in this journey. So make sure you go get prayer for anything you need prayer for um, at the sides during this song. But here's my prayer for you today. May ours be a generation known for our commitment to the next. May it be clear, not just in our heads, but to everyone watching that what matters most in our family is serving and worshiping Jesus together. And may the Holy Spirit empower us to establish rituals and to use our words to accomplish all of this. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Make sure you talk this over with the Life Group. Stop at Connection Central. If you're a guest, we'll give you a, a bag of gifts that we would love for you to have. If you haven't gotten plugged into a life group, we'll get you plugged in. And then as always, my challenge to you is to leave from here, not dismissed, but sent. Lights in a dark place. Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. Bring somebody with you next week. God bless.